before we begin. Let us all renew our pledge. Remind ourselves why we are here today, why we've always been here today, or why we've always been here, right from the start to this very day. We are here to accomplish something very special. So as much as this may be a veneration to the greatest specimen of mankind the world has ever seen, at the same time let us not forget that in these words are embodied our purpose, our resolve, our duty to ourselves and the reason we are here. So with that in mind, let us take a moment to pay homage to the most magnificent one. He who is master and teacher to 10,000 world systems. He who is the leader and guide to navigate us, to help us navigate ourselves through the ocean of suffering to the land of paradise that exists on the other side of it. So let us bring our hands together to chant the Namaskar. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhassa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhassa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa. Today will be considered a very special day for many people around the world. For very obvious reasons. Most of you who will be listening to this will be listening to it tomorrow because this sermon goes online tomorrow. So that will be in the new year. So whether it is tomorrow or today, what you'll have is the start and the end of something. The beginning of something and the end of something. It's imperative that we take a moment whilst we remind ourselves, whilst we renew our aspirations, our goals and dreams, and all of that is good. And I trust that Guru Tero, when he speaks to us tomorrow, he will also remind us to renew our aspirations our goals, our purpose, and to make sure that we do what is right by ourselves and by others in the new year. But that is no excuse for us to forget all the things that he would have said up until that point and throughout the sermons 
over the past year. Because until and unless you separate two things, how can you talk about the beginning and an end of something? Because when you talk about a beginning, then something has ended. And when you talk about the end, then something is yet to begin. These are all divisions of time. And when time itself is, a, is an illusion, just think, take a moment to think about what are some of the reasons that people come up with to celebrate. Seems so funny all at the same time. But we are not here to mock anyone. You know, the world should go on as it does. And, you know, these are milestones in people's lives that bring broken families back together, that join separated friends, that rekindles old relationships, that gives people an opportunity to renew the old, make way for the new. It keeps the world going. Perhaps it will be a turning point in someone's life. Maybe there were rifts in families and in the new year they'll resolve that let bygones be bygones and let's come back together, reunite as a family and work together. Let's come back together and be friends again. Those are the good things. Perhaps countries who were on the edge of warring or declaring war on each other might have a second thought. The small things are enough to make big differences. It's not always the big things that make the big changes. Little things. Sometimes all it takes is a hug, a smile, a thank you, or a please. Very powerful things these are, aren't they? Little things. Sometimes all it takes is a teardrop on the edge of one's eye to calm down a giant, someone who was furious, sees a teardrop on the end of or the edge of one's wife's eye or one's daughter's or son's eye, and then that's enough to cool down, calm down the person. And everyone was trying to put out the fire until that point. But that was what made the difference. Little things can make big differences. That's the way it is. So in this new year, people will be looking for those differences. People will be looking for some change to happen in their lives. And they will be looking to impact changes on other people's lives. So all of that is good as well. It's well received and it should be there. It's what keeps the world going. This is the fuel that keeps the the fire going. But I invite all of you here, those who have been practitioners of the Dhamma for a prolonged period of time, you need to open your insight eyes. And whilst we engage in all the ceremonies and the celebrations, 
rejoicing in the festivities and all that, it's important to ask yourselves, what is it that I'm celebrating? And even more prudent might be, who is it that is celebrating? The truth is, there isn't really a new year. A new year isn't dawning on us, and an old year isn't passing away. This is a story that we have composed and written ourselves, so we have reason to celebrate. Now, I hope you don't see me as, a, as Scrooge, no, the, one, the party spoiler, the party pooper. This is the truth. The truth is for us to realize and convention is for us to embrace and live by. So whilst we engage in everything that's going to happen over the next couple of days, not just here, but also at home, among friends and so on, I invite you to take a moment to ask yourselves, what's really going on? Be alert. Be aware. Be insightfully aware. Because that is the beginning of metta. And when we cultivate this, this, this metta, karmastan, tonight, you'll be uttering certain phrases. And in those phrases you will find references to sentient beings. You'll be talking about yourself, you'll be talking about others, you'll be talking about the beings that dwell in the skies and the beings that dwell in the oceans as well as the beings that dwell on land. You'll be talking about the beings that you live with at home, in your village, at school, in your hometown, in your country, and in the worldwide. So when you think about those things and you try and you chant them and you reflect on them, some of you might have this problem. Well, hang on a second. All this time haven't we been talking about that this sentient beingness is just a delusion? Why are we talking about sentient beings and that they should be well and happy and may they be free of suffering and all that. So this is what I'm saying. Be insightfully aware. That is the beginning of metta. Insightful events. So much so that, you know, metta cannot really be done or cultivated by someone who is not a noble one. There is the non-noble I don't like to refer to the word as ignoble, but rather there's the non-noble metta, which is where we think about other sentient beings. So in a two-dimensional world, there are sentient beings, you, I, they, he, she, and all of them. And we expound compassion and loving-kindness to all sentient beings. And this is a practice that we would all have found ourselves doing at some point in our lives. So, 
we don't change the words, we don't change the phrases. All we do is we open our insight. Insightfully aware as to what we are doing, we repeat the same things. We chant the same words. But, you know, every year we'll be doing one of these things, won't we? At least that's the plan, right? So we did this last year, and we did, we're doing it this year. I think we did one the previous year as well, yeah? And we'll be doing one next year, hopefully. So every year we'll be doing the same thing. It's like ever since you were born, you've been doing the same thing, haven't you? <clears throat> Run of the mill stuff, attending to your chores, and waking up in the morning. You know, look, as a lay person, I used to do at least 80% of the things that I, I do now, I used to do back then. There's a small portion of things that have changed, but the rest of it seems almost the same. So what's changed is not really what is done on the outside. That change needs to happen on the inside. Insightful awareness. Without insightful awareness, there's no contemplation that you can do that will take you to Nibbana. So, for those of you who, particularly for those of you who plan on staying for tonight's session, I invite you and I encourage you to think about how you might be able to contemplate on this karmasthana, and I'll try and help you a little bit while we are here today, to open your insight and be insightfully aware as to what's going on. See, when you work on this practice, I promise, I swear to you, there comes a point where more times than not, when you're actually engaging with someone, you are cognizant to the fact that this is actually a mind you're talking to. It happens. Some of you may be going through that transition. <clears throat> so you don't have to consciously think about it, but you actually, it's like an alertness, an awareness at the back of your mind going, right, there's another mind. When you It's like, you know, when you're talking to someone who's, let's say someone's gone insane, okay, there's a crazy man. And when you talk with this crazy man and you, you try to have a conversation with them, there's an awareness at the back of your head going, this guy's crazy, right? So whatever he says, don't take it too seriously. That's why you probably won't get upset with him, no matter what he says, yeah? So you know this. Or let's say you're talking to a, a fraud or a cheat, and then you know not to trust whatever this guy says. So that's always at the back of your head going, aware, be aware. That awareness is just like a, it's switched on. Like flicking a switch, it goes on and once it's on, you're just aware. So I'm saying something like that happens when you deepen your practice. And then you don't have to consciously switch it on, it's just on. But that comes with practice. So that is the insightful awareness that I want you to get into. And we can all do it. It's not forbidden or impossible for any, any among you. 
you can all do it. Provided you have a mind, because it is the mind that is able to achieve this insightful awareness, you can all do it. The more times you do it, the easier it becomes. At the beginning, you have to do it consciously. At the beginning, you might need a prompt. So use this session this evening for that, to practice that. Then you won't feel like you're just here to spend the night, you know, 31st. You've got to be somewhere. We used to be with among friends, you know, with friends, partying, huh? fireworks. But today we have to be here because it's the right thing to do. Be, excuse me, be here with purpose. This is a project. You're here for a purpose. It's like when you take your car to the service center, right? You're there for a purpose. You're there to service your car. You're, you come here to service yourselves. You to service your mind. You know that something's wrong with it and you're here to fix it. This is the therapy. So these are therapy sessions. This Dhamma is therapeutic. So tonight we are going to do some open heart surgery. You'll be taking into the surgery room. Hmm? And uh, this will be about 10 to 12 hour long session. From time to time, the painkillers might kick in and you might lose consciousness. But try and not rely on them. So it's best if you can say, stay alert throughout the, throughout the evening and use it as a therapy session. You know, like you go to the physiotherapist. Hmm? Any of you had physiotherapy? You know, while you're there, you have therapy. So you're, when you're here, you are the chitta therapist. What therapist? The chitta therapist. So here we give therapy to the mind. Insightful awareness. Let's talk through one or two of these, see if we can pull it apart and make sense of what exactly I'm asking you to do here. So first and foremost, I'm reminding you again, we have the dawn of a new year on us. The very first question I want you to ask yourselves is, what are we celebrating really? The end of what and the beginning of what? <clears throat> what have you celebrated all throughout your lives? <clears throat> all the parties, all the confetti, the singing and the dancing and the get-togethers and the musicals and Look back at the life that you spent and when the whole thing now feels like a dream, because it was. 
It was, a, it was just a dream. None of those things really happened. That is why, you know, in other cultures, they'll have a different calendar year. The Chinese have their new year. Singhalese and Tamils, they have their own new year. In other cultures, they'll have their own new year. But conventionally, everyone around the world got together and decided, right, you know what, we just, we're going to have to agree on one day so that commerce works, business works. So therefore, let's agree on the 1st of January. Who said a month was 30 days? So obviously what they did was they decided that the time it took the earth to go one cycle around the sun and then they divided that time into 12 but then every four years they have to make some calibrations because they didn't get it right and they call that a leap year you see how perfect this science is invented by man for man's needs that's what it is time is an illusion Time is an essential or a necessary illusion because for as long as you feel your identity, you need a way to measure it. It's good that we have time because at least then you can say, I've been here for so long. Take away time now, how can you express that? Hmm? I've been here for so long because if without time, you're going to have to Talk about something that you would have done, you would have said, but if you were, imagine yourself in the Arupa world. In the Arupa world, where there are no sights or sounds and smells and tastes, there's just the mind, and now you're going to have to measure, you're going to have to talk about how long you've been you. Yeah? So that's when you say, my grandfather, he lived for 75 years, meaning he was grandfather for 75 years. That never happened. It's just a story that we like to tell ourselves. And it's a story that we keep telling ourselves and it just keeps us sane. In an insane world, it keeps us sane. So it keeps us from going doubly insane because we are all insane to begin with. Andre? So that is the insanity that we are trying to heal. So, first and foremost, let's get that straight. Okay? So, there's no big hype about a new year. Used to be. In my lay life, you know, new years were a big thing, like birthdays. <laughs> Same thing, isn't it? If you were born on another planet, you wouldn't be celebrating your birthday every 365 days. You'd be celebrating it every 2,000 days on another planet. So you say, I am 25 years old. You say you're 25 years old. But that's not to say we should get rid of time. We need time. Like we need units to measure things. We need time to measure how long you've been who? You. 
or at least how long you felt that you are you. So let's take one of these karma stanas. May I and all beings, so I'm giving you the translation in English, okay? We're going to be doing this in Singhala in the evening, but if you find it, I mean, there's a sermon going on in the Dhamma Hall where one of uh, the monks is actually talking the audience through what the karma stana they're going to be going through tonight. So I don't want you to miss out on that. So I'm going to help you to work out one or two of these. And once you've got once you've gotten one or two of these, you get the, you get the gist. Right? And after that, you'll realize, ah, okay, so that's what that is, this is what this is, and so on. So I'm not catching your fish for you, I'm teaching you how to catch fish. Right? So that'll be your homework. And you'll have some, you need something to do as well, don't you? So may I and all beings in all worlds be freed from the disease of sansara. Remember we used to do Aramaitri at the end of every sermon? So you'll be familiar with this. From the fear of sansara, from the flames or the fire of sansara, now let's take a moment to try and work that out. When we talk about sansara, see here's the, this is the funny thing, right? We are all here to get out of sansara. If you switch off your insightful awareness, as I say those words, you feel like there's this thing called sansara and we are all trapped in it. That is also an illusion. There's a thing called sansara, like a prison, and we are all trapped in it. So there's a thing that we are trying to get out of. It's like prison break. So let's get out of that first. Sansara is not a place or a thing that you need to escape. Although we'll say it in those terms, really, escape sansara, get out of sansara. Sansara is not a thing. Sansara is not a place. It's not an entrapment. It's not a correctional facility somewhere. Sansara is what happens, what is happening to you right now. That is sansara. It's happening to you right now, as we speak. Sansara is a process. You're doing sansara right now. As you're listening to these words, you're doing sansara. Sansara is what you're doing right now. I want to do, make sure that you really understand what I'm trying to explain. Explain to you here. The mind rises and passes away. We know that the mind arises because it has business to do. Yeah, and that business are the five aggregates. That is not sansar. That is what we could call vipaka. So that is not sansara. Sansara is not something you can see. It's not something you can hear. 
You cannot perceive sansara through your five senses. So therefore this is not sansara. What you see around you is not sansara. So when we talk about the ocean of sansara, I want you to get it out of your heads in case you have such an idea or a concept like that, that you know, everything we see around us, you know, like this is the universe that we're in, like that, this is the sansara that we're in. Then universe is a subset of sansara. That's not what it is. It's not another word for cosmos. <clears throat> sansara is what you're doing right now. The mind creates sansara. That is why we can chant these words. May you be freed from the fire of sansara. You can do that right now. In fact, the reason you can do it right now is because you are igniting those flames right now. It's happening as we speak. The mind is born with a purpose and that purpose is to receive, to register, to recognize, to respond and to perceive. And with all those five things going on, with the need, the desire to identify yourself, when ignorance and attachment kicks in, sansara is born. So what? Who are the parents of sansara? Indeed. Where ignorance and attachment prevails, sansara prevails. So, you made sansara two moments ago and then you did a new one a moment ago and you're doing one right now. A new instance of sansara. So, first and, so firstly, you all, you all got to... It's funny how they say that God created everything. Actually, you create everything. You are God. Right now, you're creating your sansara. All we need to understand is this doctrine. Once we get that straight, we begin to realize everything that's going on around us, to us and around us. Take a moment to think about your family for a second. Hmm? Your parents, children, your siblings. You feel that you are a family, don't you? That is evidence that you are creating sansara right now. When you say, I am married to my husband, I am married to my wife, I have three children, I have a pet dog, we have uh, a maid who works at home, I have, I'm, uh, there are three brothers in my family and two sisters. When you, when you talk about it in those terms, you are creating sansara at that moment. That is sansara. In sansara, you have a family. In sansara, you are married. In sansara, you are a principal, a doctor, an engineer, a solicitor, a teacher. 
you identify yourself as someone who belongs to something. That is the best evidence that sansara is happening right now. It's like you're in the matrix. When you step into it, you're in sansara. When you step out of it, you're out of sansara. So you create and you produce sansara as we speak. So then, tell me, where do you need to go to free yourselves from the fear of sansara? <laughs> yep, exactly. You don't need to be going anywhere. You're doing it right now. So all you've got to do is stop doing it. Imagine you were carrying a stone or a rock over your head and you say, this is heavy, isn't it? So heavy. Now, what good is there to go and come keep complaining about that to someone? I've got this rock over my head, it's so heavy. Don't know what to do about it. Where do you have to go? Who do you have to go and talk to, to free yourself from that? Hmm? You lifted it, you raised it over your head, and now you're feeling the burden of it, you're feeling the weight of it. Did someone do that to you? No. So, do you need to go to someone to free yourself from it? No. Then you'll ask the question, well, why are we here then, Swami? So, couldn't we do this from home? Yeah, I just, you just need to be here so that you know what you're doing. Once you've worked that out, you don't need my help. I'm just here to tell you that this is what you're doing. That weight that you're feeling is the weight of the rock that you're carrying over your own head. Put it down. No one else is doing it to you. No one else can do it for you. You're doing it yourself. For as long as ignorance and attachment prevail in your minds, you create samsara at that moment. So, may I and all beings in all worlds... Hmm. Let's try and work through that one. Where are these all beings in all the worlds? How many worlds are there? You know, these are questions that you'll have if you don't look at it insightfully. You know. How many worlds do we need to talk about? How far do I have to spread my compassion? In which direction? Where are these other worlds? Because, you know, otherwise, you know, how can you do this skeptically? Hmm? All beings in all the other worlds, you know, they've been trying to discover species and living beings in other planets and they still haven't had much luck. So, you know, we talk about all beings in all the worlds. Where are these other worlds? Where are these other beings? Do I have to believe it just because the Buddha said so? These are the questions that you will have if you don't contemplate on this without insightfulness. We are not talking about some worlds out there or some beings out there. What we are talking about are minds. And again, remember, a mind is not a thing either. You are mind and body, yeah? A mind is not a thing either. It's a process. See, you're just a bundle of energy. Someone told you you're a bundle of joy hmm? when you were younger. Hmm? Don't let them fool you. What you are are a bundle of energy. And that energy is also not static energy. 
It's not just there. This is all very dynamic. I'm encouraging you to look at yourself as a nobody. Your, you know, what you are is simply what manifests at this moment in time. You're nothing more than that. So put out all this self-importance. You are nobody. <laughs> and yet, look at how we demand things for ourselves, how we demand respect from other people, how we demand to be treated in a certain way, how we demand to be regarded. You know, if someone, you'll be all right with this, right? But imagine, before listening to the Dhamma, if someone said, you know, well, once you're dead, hmm, we're going to feed you to the dogs. Don't expect us to, you know, put up a, a funeral and then, you know, dig you a grave and, you know, put up a tombstone and pay last respects. What last respects? See, people are so, so deluded. They won't respect even after they're dead. Don't they? Even after they're dead, they need respect. Last respect. Imagine if your children came up to you and said, you know what, we don't care much about you. You brought us into this world, so feed us, look after us. But when you're dead and gone, I said, you're just dead weight. Don't expect us to you know, do this, that and the other. I'm not going to be taking time out of work from work to do your funeral. Do us a favor and can you go into the, in the forest and die if you can, please? Hmm? If your children were to come up and say something like that to you, I want you to think about how you might feel. Honestly, how you might feel. Some people will actually, you know, they'll go to the funeral directors and they'll actually book, they'll make reservations for their coffins. And then they, you know, you can choose you know, how velvety you want the inside lining. You can go for the full option, <laughs> package. You can pick your hearse. Wonderful, isn't it? Wunderbar. <laughs> you can pick your hearse. You can pick the flower arrangements. You can pick the procession that carries you from your home, your resting to your final resting place. You can, you can choose the eulogy that is that will be read out for you and the hymns that you want to be you know, said or read out after you're gone, your burial place, where you want to be, who you want to be buried next to. <laughs> Beautiful. Aren't we all just novelists? You know? Some people will tell you, I don't want to be buried. I want to be, what do you call it? Cremated, yes, thank you. Oh, I don't want to be cremated, I want to be buried. Please make sure that you do it that way. Don't hurt me. And when you put me into my coffin, please make sure that you put all these possessions in there. 
They're so not ready to leave. You know, today we laugh at these things, but <laughs> before the Dhamma happened to us, you know, we wouldn't have been very different ourselves. When a couple comes together as husband and wife, you know, till death do us part, you would have wanted before the Dhamma happened to you, you know, you would have probably wished right the day we pass away, you know, this is where you might have, you know, held hands and walked to the cemetery and discussed, you know, this is where you're going to be and I'm going to be right next to you, honey. So, you know, these things, let them be, okay? I'm not really saying that we should, you know, what's all this nonsense, you know, let's stop this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you as practitioners of the Dhamma, need to have, switch on this insightful awareness. And it might be that someone might come up to you, imagine you're an Arahant, right? And someone comes to you, your children, and say, uh, Mother, when you pass away, we are going to bury you next to Father. Right? At that moment, you should be able to say, yes, okay, my child, if that's what you wish, let's do that. And if they want you to make a choice, you know, left or right, then help them make that choice. Um, yeah, left is fine if that works for you. I don't mind, left is fine. Oh, right is fine. You will find this extremely difficult if, you've, if you don't see a mind in front of you. You've got to understand that every mind is on a journey. Right? From the day it started doing samsara to the day it stops doing samsara, okay? the, a mind is evolving. So, like you wouldn't ask your two-year-old to go and do his homework, because it's not, you know, they're not mature enough to do that yet. When you have a mind in front of you, you've got to look at that mind and what it is capable of, what it is not capable of, how it perceives the world, Get yourself in the shoes of another mind. That you need to be able to do. And I'm sure you're all doing it more or less an extent. I urge you to be better at it. If you're a king of hearts, this is what you should be able to do. Just think about it for a second, right? We get all sorts here, don't we? Well, all sorts of people come and talk to us. They'll come and talk to us about family problems. They'll talk to us about children's problems. Wife problems, husband problems, work problems, right? Oh, you name it. We get the full spectrum. Some problems I can't even tell you about. Everything, you know, from the living room to the kitchen to the bedroom, all sorts of problems come our way. And they, people trust us to help them to work those problems out. Now, I understand that this is just a mind, but I know that where they are, they're not going to understand what I tell them in the words that I understand it. So I would be very foolish and vain if I don't have the capacity to relate to what they're going through. This is empathy. 
That's a skill that we all need to develop. I put my hand up and say, you know, long time ago, I, wouldn't, I wasn't like that. It used to be that many years ago, when someone would come and talk to me and try and tell them, try and explain to me that they're going through exam stress or whatever, you know, I'd say, what, what exams? It's rubbish. You know, just give it up. Let go, you know, come and, you know, this, there's something else you need to be doing with your life. And that would be the first answer that would come out of my, my, my mouth. But I was wrong. I was wrong. That was not what I had to do. A fish was out of water and I was trying to feed it before putting it back in the water again. Because those days, I felt like I was right and I need to get the other person to see things from my perspective. So I was no better than before I got the Dhamma. You see the difference between understanding the Dhamma and realizing the Dhamma? When you understand the Dhamma, you want someone else also to understand it. But when you realize the Dhamma, now you help them realize it. There's a world of a difference, folks. Acknowledge this and try and identify where you are on that, on that path, on that journey. You need to be able to help someone realize the Dhamma. To realize the Dhamma, it might be that today is not the day for you to talk to them about everything you know from Patichasamuppada to the Four Noble Truths. Because today they've just come to you asking for a problem that they have with their children, with their wife. You know, someone comes and says, I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I have this, I have a secret affair with someone. And I don't want my wife to find out. I don't want my husband to find out. We get all sorts. You'd be surprised. I have a secret affair. What do I do? That is not the time for me to perhaps talk to them about, you know, how this is all cause and effect. And, you know, this is avidya pacha, sankara pacha, vinyana. The first thing I'm going to have to do is probably to say, you know, Sir, you know, if someone did that to you, how would you feel? Would you like to be treated that way? And think about all the good things that your wife has done for you. Now, I know that nothing like that has happened. <laughs> I know that the wife hasn't done anything for the husband and the husband hasn't done anything for the wife. But my realization is one, but that, that person's realization is another. This is an infant. You don't feed rice and curry to an infant, do you? It's still suckling. So you've got to be very gentle. Because if you try and teach them the Dhamma, teach them the Dhamma, they may become knowledgeable in the Dhamma, but sure as hell, they're not going to understand or comprehend a word you've said, and they'll just walk away and they'll never come back because their problem will remain just as when they came to see you. Remember, it's not, an un it's not understanding the Dhamma that solves your problems. It's realizing the Dhamma. You just need to understand good and bad to stop doing some of the things you need to do. But that urge within, to extinguish that, you need to realize the Dhamma. It's like you know it's not appropriate to you know, 
do certain things in public. It's not appropriate to walk up to a stranger and say, will you marry me? Uh, it's not appropriate to, you know, take whatever you want when you're in the supermarket without paying for it. That's not appropriate, it's wrong. So an, an understanding of right and wrong is enough for you to not do those things. But that doesn't stop you from feeling the urge to do it. Remember, this is chitta therapy. With good conduct, you can stop yourself from doing bad things, wrong things that will get you imprisoned, whatever. But the urge to do it will be there. You know that when you're in public, when you're in the office, if you're angry with someone, you don't shout at them, do you? Because you know it's not right, I, I can't do this. Just because you see someone and you think, oh, she's, she's pretty, you don't just go and, you know, smooch her. You don't do that. Because that's, that's wrong. But you might feel the urge to do it. How do you deal with that? That is comprehension of the Dhamma. Realizing the Dhamma. But that takes time. So don't expect the world of someone who's just opened the door and put their first foot in the door. They've just made their first step. That's why when people come here, you know, I always ask you to treat them, give them love, affection, and make sure that they feel respected. You've got to do that. Right? After a while, you know, when you, they become an Anagarika Mahatya and they go on and eventually become a Swami Nuhanse, then, you know, we teach our Swami that don't you be expecting respect here, sir. And that sir, we say sarcastically. <laughs> don't you be expecting respect. And Guru Hamdra makes sure that none of us expect respect here. <laughs> because if you're here for respect, that is self-respect, isn't it? Then you haven't seen the problem. But if someone comes in, right, new, first-timer, right, sometimes we'll walk up to them. Hmm? Good morning, sir. It's so nice to have you. Please, would you come in? Please take a seat. Yeah, this is all courtesy as well. You know, we, should, we need to have these things, courtesy, respect, being polite, and it costs nothing. Right? But we do it so that they come back a second time. That is metta. That is metta. That is the enactment of metta. It might be that those days, before the Dhamma happened, right, we would do such things expecting that they might treat you well in return. You walk up to someone and you say good morning, you, you please them, to tease them, tease something out of them. Pleasing for teasing. But now we do it because we want something for them. And if you upset them, they probably won't come back a second day. That's why especially I ask all of you, you know, if you, have, if you see new faces around, make sure they get their meal first. Uh, if you are st stood in the queue and they're right at the back, you know, invite them to come and stand in front of you. Make them feel that they are respected. Make them feel that they are valued. Because that's a big thing. It's a big thing for a self, self-respect. But as you progress in the Dhamma, you begin to realize that this whole self thing is a nonsense. It's simply an illusion. So what respect then? But when you're talking to someone, <clears throat> someone new, 
you've got to reflect and recognize the fact that this is a chitta that I'm talking to, this is a mind that I'm talking to, not a person I'm talking to. Otherwise, think about it, folks. You know, if someone's someone's chubby, hmm, and you say, hey, fatso, why does that offend them? You might think well, it shouldn't offend them. You know, this is I'm talking to the mind, and this is the body. Why does it offend them? Well, because that mind has simply not understood that yet. It thinks that this is all part of me. So you've just offended me. Now that you need to be mindful. When someone comes to you with a problem, when someone comes to you in pain, right? Teary-eyed. When someone comes to you crying, always be that person who is willing to lend them a shoulder. Being that king of hearts is so important. That's why I think I'm talking about it again, as I did last week. Being a king of hearts, you you do it out of compassion, folks. Do it out of compassion. Recognize that you're dealing with a broken mind. Fix it. Become a mind technician. Walk around fixing broken minds. They need, they need love. Love is simply an illusion. There is no such thing called love. There is noble love. But that's not what I'm talking about here. But that's not what people expect. People want to feel that someone cares about them. Hmm? Isn't that when you're in a relationship, you ask him, how much do you really love me, darling? You're expecting an answer, right? Tell me, tell me, tell me. How much do you love me? What would you do for me? How far would you go for me? I'll go to the moon and back for you, my honey. See? Because people want to feel that they... Think about this, folks. This self is such... What's the word? This, this, This feeling of self is such an illusion that you need it to be verified every moment. You need someone to confirm that it's there every moment. That's why people look for a lot for someone to validate their existence. They need validation. That's why if someone stumps on your foot, you, you want them to say what? Sorry. Otherwise you look at them, you give them a look. Uh, Hello. I'm here. What's this? Why? Why this I'm here? Please. Can you recognize that I'm here? I need your validation that I'm here. A tree doesn't do that. But human beings, you know, we need, this mind needs for, for others to recognize that they are here, that they are valid. They look for validity. And your apology is a testimony to that. Your thank you is a testimony to that. Try and be a mother to everyone in this world. Now you'll begin to understand what I'm saying. This is what what being a king of hearts is. Out of motherly compassion, look at all sentient beings in this world. You know, these are just infant minds looking for some recognition. 
at the workplace, you know, sometimes you don't need to pay, give people pay rises. All you need to do is for the boss to come and give a pat on the back and say, hey, well done, Mike. You did a fantastic job on that one. That's all you need. And you've just boosted him and cheered him up for another whole, whole another year. That's, the, that's all the incentive that they need. Recognition. Recognition is a big thing in the workplace, isn't it? Think about it. You know, just, just open your hearts, open your minds and look at how much people out there are looking for that recognition. Zoom in and zone in onto that mind. You know, imagine this is the body. You know, think of just any, any human being that you can imagine. right? Now, zoom in and try and focus on the mind. Let's just say it's, it's somewhere here, okay? In and around the heart. Now, look at how much it's struggling to make its presence known. Screaming, smiling, interacting. And people look for companionship. These are all diseases of the mind. The need for companionship is a disease of the mind. Because the mind feels, I am here and I need someone else to validate that. So I need companionship. Why do people feel loneliness? What's not there when you are lonely? Someone else. What does that someone else do for you? Think about it. Huh? What does the presence of a someone else bring to your life? They don't need to feed you. They don't need to hold your hand. They don't need to do anything. You know, In some countries, you can hire people just to come and be by your side. They don't need to talk to you. They do it in Japan. There's a guy who rents himself and all he has to do is just come and when you go to the restaurant, he'll come and sit next to you. They don't talk. He doesn't, he, he doesn't, that's not a service that he says. He doesn't talk. He's just there. So when you order your meal, you'll have your meal and then he'll order his meal. He doesn't even have to sit at the same table. But you just feel, need to know that he's there for you. There's a guy who does that. <laughs> it's one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world, isn't it? See how advanced they are. I'm not saying that is typical of Japanese. That's typical of an ailing mind. I'm not surprised because we see it all around. You know, I'll, when we take someone here, right, you become an anagarika or an anagarika, hmm? then they give up their, if they were in a relationship, they give up their relationships and then they become, you know, individuals and, you know, and then they practice the path. Soon enough, they realize that I didn't need a boyfriend. I didn't need a girlfriend. I didn't need a husband or a wife. But think about them when they were younger. School years, at, you know, in university. It almost seems like impossible, doesn't it, to live without a partner? Because what does a partner do for you? They validate your existence. That's why if, when you're at home with your partner and, you know, you are, you are looking for some response from him or her and you don't get that response, you become edgy. You go, hey, why are you, why are you not talking to me today? You'll all have had these conversations in your lives. 
at some point or the other. If you haven't yet, you might do in the future. Careful with that. If you haven't yet, you might do some point in the future. Why, why, why are you like that to me today? Why aren't you talking to me today? Why are you, why are you so quiet today? And that's not simply, you know, cons- being concerned for them. You know, are you upset? If you're not, if you're not, if you're all right, I'm all right. That's not entirely that. You are looking for them to interact with you. you that's why you brought an interactive partner. That's why in some countries you can buy dolls. You just need to bring them and keep them next to you and you feel like you have a companion. And with a bit of artificial intelligence, you know, you can, you can program them to answer your questions. How are you? They'll reply. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Then you have to, you, they answer. Some people go and talk to their car. You seen people do that? I know one man, he, he, he thinks he's married to his car. No, seriously, I'm not making this up. <clears throat> he spends several days, several hours of the day in his car. He gets into his car, he holds his steering, the steering wheel in his hands, he caresses it. He, that is his relationship. He's in love with his car. This is not just because it's a car. He feels that when his car is there, when he's there, you know, he has someone to be with them. I want you to look at how poor humankind is, has become. How weak and how fragile the mind has become because of no Dhamma. This is for whom we need to contemplate on this. You know, minds are ailing. Minds are ailing. This companionship is a big thing and it's going to get worse in the future. You know, nowadays you can't remove a kid from, from his computer because in, 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 in his computer game he, he, he has another world, right? These are online role-playing games, right? And you have little communities, you have buddies on there and, you know, they're anonymous, right? They'll get their own new names whenever they join the game but, you know, they have a little chit-chat. Are you doing what you're doing? You know, what's up? You know, how are things going? You know, that companionship is what they need. Because it validates their existence. Even an animal feels threatened when you look at it in its eyes. As, you know, they say, if you see a tiger, never look at it in its eyes. Because then it knows that you know that it knows. That is when it feels threatened. Its presence has been validated. Think about it. This is a mind that's going through all this nonsense. We need to think about the science of the mind, folks. This is where we really need to focus. Understand who you are. And then you'll realize you've been living a dream for the last however many years. You thought to yourself that you are a man. Huh? Men in the house, put your hand up. Women. Children then. Adults. 
None of you can put your hands up now. But do you not feel that you are one of the above? There you go. Because when you go stand in front of the mirror, you see a picture and that picture reminds you, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a child. <clears throat> I'm old. I'm young. I'm pretty. <clears throat> or oh, I'm fair. I'm dark. So much so that the mind has begun, has, you know, has personified that. These are the things that has happened to an ailing mind. <clears throat> Minds are weeping. They need intensive care. So expound that compassion first towards that mind that lay within these bodies. Hmm? Expound it inwards. Look at your mind for a second. Reflect on it. You know, I, be aware of your mind for a second. Now, and you'll ask your, ask your mind, who are you? And the mind will have lots of answers to, say, to give you. Say, I'm, this is my name. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm, this is my age. I'm, you know, these are my relations. These are my possessions. This is my identity. This is my nationality. This is my race. This is my religion. This is my creed. This is my culture. These are my parents. These are my friends. It, it identifies with the whole. This is the world that the mind created for itself. Doesn't that happen for all of you? It's gone insane. The first step to treatment is first to, is to recognize that you're ill. You're sick. That's the first step. We are patients. And so are all other minds in this world. Devas, Brahmas, hmm? yeah, they have a bit more than you do. Perhaps they've got ambrosia. They've got palaces. They've got divine power. But even they feel that they are an identity. Even they look for recognition. You can make, some, I'm not making any reference to any specific faith or belief. I'm just saying, you know, gods can be made angry. You can, you know, they say, don't upset so and so God. You know, you might have to feel its wrath. If they feel angry, if they, if they, if they feel anger, right? if they get angry, you know, they might destroy but think about it, you know, if you can make someone angry, just contemplate on the nature of that mind. If you can make a mind angry, right, is that something to be proud about? Is that something to be, is, is that something to be praised? Something to be honored? If someone has to live in fear, that if you get angry, you know, 
that'll be like all hell breaks loose. Do you think that is respect for you? Oh, isn't that the biggest insult? Hmm? It's the biggest insult. Yeah, many, many sermons ago, many months, perhaps even a few years ago, I remember talking to, you know, the audience and saying, you know, fathers in the house, if you're, if you're, if you're, because, you know, it's very culture specific, this one, right? If your children or your, your, your wife, right? If they live at home in fear of you, that is not something to be proud of. The way I invite you to look at it is, they know that you are so weak, right? they won't say anything to upset you. You wish, if you like, you can construe that, you can perceive that as respect, if you want. Really, they, they know that in, in some homes we hear this. Some, you know, some wives come and tell us, children come and tell us, sometimes husbands come and tell us, about their wives, you know, at home we don't we don't say anything to him or her about this, you know. If you do, it's just he goes mad. So we don't talk to him. About it. And the, and the person who gets angry, he thinks, you know, see, I have a lot of respect at home. No one oversteps the mark when I'm here. Everyone knows their boundaries because I am the dawn. Little do they realize. Actually, what's happening is the, the other people at home, they, they, they're very sympathetic towards this man or this woman. And therefore, they're very careful. They're like treading on eggshells when they're around this person, you know, lest that he or she gets angry. I've seen this happen in, in some homes. Because the mind that gets angry is a very weak mind. It's a very weak mind. So, you know, be self-critical in every sense of that word. Even if you want to take it two-dimensionally, still works. Be self-critical. You want to take it three-dimensionally, still works. Be self-critical. I remember, you know, last year at the, at the end, at the beginning of the new year, I asked you to do three things. I don't know if you remember, but I do. The first thing I said was, find a partner that you can, an accountability partner. Find, get yourself an accountability partner. Someone who you can trust to point out your weaknesses when things start going wrong. And you actually appoint them as, their, as your accountability partner. It could be your, your, you know, someone, a loved one in the family. It could be a, a, a really good friend. Hmm? It could be someone in the workplace. You entrust them to be a noble friend to you. When things start going wrong, you know, they have unreserved, unreservedly they can come up to you and say, right, hey, I think something's wrong. I want to talk to you. And then, you know, no holds barred, you've got to listen to what they say. No debating, you just need to be there to listen. You know, this is one of the best things you can do for yourself. Appoint an accountability partner. And then it's not your, your task, your duty to, to debate and argue with them. Because they're there, 
You know, it takes a, a great deal of courage to do something like that. So I say in your lives, ha- appoint someone like that. You know, in our lives we have that, which is called a teacher. That's what we have. In our lives we have a teacher. A teacher is our accountability partner. Because our teachers get unreserved, or rather uninterrupted and unrestrained access. You know, they can come and say anything they want at any time they want, right? And it's our duty to listen and take all that on board. So if my teacher comes to me and says, something's wrong with you, I need to talk. It's not my place to now debate with my teacher, because that is not how a teacher-student relationship works. When the teacher opens his mouth, it's your time to shut yours and listen to what he has to say. In your lives, folks, you will have this at the workplace. This is your boss. right? But on the path to your purification, the path to your salvation, see if you can appoint for yourselves an accountability partner. When they start talking about this point, right? They, I'm not talking about you know day-to-day stuff. And shall we go shopping? Right? You stop and you start. You just don't talk and you listen to them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when they come. They, this is a, a moment where they have to intervene, and intervention is required. And then they'll come up to you and say, right, you know something's wrong. I need to talk to you. Now you have to allow them to play that role of accountability partner. And for that. You need to shush and listen to what they have to say. Take all of it on board. If you need, take it down. Record the points that they have to say. And then after that, you know, you don't go back to them immediately. All you can do is ask them questions. You don't make statements. You don't make comments. You only ask questions. You know, why do you feel like that? At which point did you feel that way? What was it that I said that made you feel that way? You can't justify yourself. That is wrong. And at that time, if you do that, then you're not doing yourself any service. That is not the time to justify. That's the time to get, get collect all that wonderful information. How they perceived you and why they felt that way. If you feel, you know, after a while that you know, all these things that they're saying, it's not rubbish, it doesn't relate to you, then change your accountability partner. If you must. But I think, you know, you've all lived long enough to identify there must be someone in your life who is capable of, of being that someone to you. At the monastery, we have our teachers for that. And we have our fellow monks, but especially our teacher. Unrestrained, unre- un... Uh, I'm looking for the word, it's just not coming. Yes. Mm. Unrestrained, I think. Unrestrained access to you, 24-7, you get that gift. Big one, man. No filters, yes, unfiltered, thank you. Access, they can come and say anything they want and it's not your turn to go back to them. You just keep quiet and listen to what they have to say. And then you take that away. You take that away and you work on it. You know, why did he say that? How, what, what, you know, that point that he said, you know, what did that really happen that way? Or was it simply how they saw it? You know, all that homework you do later. Not there, not then and there. Usually what happens is when someone tries to find, come and point out a fault with us, you know, defense. And that defense is the worst thing you can do for yourself. Because when you start defending yourself, everyone else keeps shut. Because they realize, no point talking to this guy. In the Buddha's words, he says, 
you know when someone comes to you and they tell you something's wrong with you realize that what they have done for you is given to you a gift a precious gift this is a treasure trove that they've just handed over to you so when you find a treasure take as much of it as possible away and once you are home now you know piece it all together see which ones are precious which ones are more valuable than others and so on so see if you can appoint yourselves an accountability partner this is one of the things i asked you to do last year a very beneficial thing on your part to nibbana and then i said the other thing was do is be accountable to yourselves that was the second thing in case you struggle to find an accountability partner at least be accountable to yourself you can do it every night before you go to bed you know replay the events of the day and look at the way you spent your day as someone else see if you can be the receiving party of your treatment and see how you would like to receive that from someone else the things that you did hmm? if they were done unto you how would you have felt you know these are really powerful things very simple things but they're really powerful things that can help propel you on this journey forward be accountable to yourselves it's one of the things that the buddha asks us to do every single day in the dasadhamma sutra 10 things that he says a monk should do daily this is part of our daily practice be self critical how have you spent your day what do you do in the morning what do you do in the afternoon what do you do in the evening in other words you know this this has another meaning as well what did you do well you know when you were in a good mood what did you do when you were in a in your bad mood what did you do when you were in your neutral mood what happened how did you respond to others how did you respond to respond to events did you try to change the outcome or did you try to change the the, the event or did you try to change the the response what did you do that is being accountable to yourselves because when everyone's left no one's there to look out for you you are the only one left standing so you have to be responsible and accountable to yourselves and the third one was of course the mantra that i live and breathe by what you give is what you get <clears throat> and i reminded you know make sure that you spend as much of this year that was last year the coming year i suppose you know if they ask me to talk today i probably have to say have the same things to say because it's not like every year you have a new recipe for nibbana it's the same thing right this is a practice the principles are the same the doctrines the same and what you have to do is the same if it were something different then every year you're making a change on the path you know you're wavering left right and center this is as i said not a hundred things not a million things to be done once it's one thing to be done a million times so i don't have a million things to tell you i have one thing and then you have a million times to do it that's the way it works so be self critical <clears throat> look within take that introspective analysis and you know 
Now, th this is a good use of the end of a, a year, you know, because it seems like a natural point to be doing it. Because the rest of the year, you know, you're very busy, things are happening, right? But at this time of the year, you get your either school holidays or your work, you know, you get your holidays, whatever, right? This is a time to reflect. Look back at how you spent your year. What were the highlights? What were the times where, you know, you were not, you're not your proudest moments? Very important. And in any business, they would do this. In any project, they would do this. So why not in the project of your life? Look at the highlights. The good times, as well as the bad times. When did you find yourself in the rough seas of the vicissitudes? In the, in the face of praise, in the face of blame, how did you act? In times of loss and in times of gain, how did you react? When you were put on a pedestal and then when you were asked to step down, and you were treated like the scum of the earth. How did you feel? When everything you built around you started falling apart. When no one recognized you. When no one paid any regard to what you have to say. Or the things you've done. When no one cared who you are or what you do. Where you've come from. When everyone else made you feel like a nobody. How did you feel? These are, you know, these are so, so important things for you to realize, reflect on. Because it's those wounds that you're here to heal. That's why the first step to treatment is identifying, understanding. Diagnosis is the first step to treatment. You've got to first diagnose. Where's the problem? Lots of Dhamma is not going to help, folks. Just a little bit. Hmm? Careful. Timely, consistent application. This is what gives you results. Consistency is the name of the game. You've got to do it consistently every day. Like learning a language. Every day. You've got to do a little bit every day. A little bit every day. 15 minutes every day. All I asked you was for that. 15 minutes. How young Anagarika Buddhas when they first come to the monastery. All I asked them is 15 minutes. Can you do 15 minutes every day? There's the valley man, 15 minutes. I don't ask any more than that. They come and start with their 15. That goes up to half an hour, one hour, one hour, quarter. And before you know it, they're there for four or five hours. Because that 15 minutes is the make or break. You do your 15 minutes, you realize, ah, 15 minutes can do so much. I'm going to double it next time. That's how it works. Because it's not a lot it's a little done consistently. That is what brings results. So, you know, we are all so blessed, I, I believe, folks. And I, and I think I can speak on your behalf as well, you know, to have Guru Hamro and, you know, to have such, a, such pure Dhamma, right? And to have this companionship where, you know, everyone is ready to give their heart and soul to help, to help you on this path, to give you everything that they have, to just lay it out there so that, you know, you, it's just up for grabs, isn't it? If you come here hungry, you know, you never leave hungry. If you come here thirsty, you never leave thirsty. If you come here without shelter, you never leave without shelter. Love and respect 
you know, in abundance. That's all we are here to give you. So, you know, you're, when you're here, you're in the presence of some of the most beautiful people on this, in this, on this world, in this world. <clears throat> so we are so fortunate, so blessed to have every opportunity. People watching out for us, you know, people doing what they can for others. Giving up so selflessly, such altruism. So, you know, especially the year to come, you know, make it more about finding out what it is that you're not doing enough, rather than thinking about what is it that others are not doing enough for me. What is it that you're not doing enough? What more could you be doing? What more could you have done? Not a time to regret, but a time to learn lessons from the past. In the past is not a club to hit yourself with. It's a school to learn some good lessons and carry them to the future. Because the future is where you will invest everything you learned from your past. You get the rewards in the future. Invest them today, you get your rewards in the future. That's the way it works. You know, you are a project, right? you know that, right? Self-engineering, you've got to engineer yourself. You're all engineers. You know, you might be a doctor, teacher, lawyers, you know, whatever, but you're all engineers. You're all engineering yourselves. That is your most basic duty to yourselves. You're all engineering yourself. Whatever your age is, you've got to keep on this continuous improvement. It's a discipline that you need to get yourselves into. And I know, you know, most of you will have it. Almost all of you will have it. Do more of it. Where do you need to do those calibrations, those fine tunings, you know, identify them. Because, you know, for some of you, you know, maybe in this new year, you will finally make that leap and come and join us. And I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm sure Guru Swami Nansi will give you more details in the future. Now, several of you have been asking for, you know, why do you discriminate us just because we are, you know, just a tad bit over that age. So we got together and we started to come up with some programs for the, uh, you know, those who are over the age that qualifies for the Anagarika program. The gents, of course, you know, you have every opportunity, but especially uh, ladies. And of course, there's the, the younger children who also need some refuge. So... That's happening. That will happen. I, I'm not going to say any more than that. I don't want to steal Guru Thero's thunder. Not that I can do that. So, you know, some really, really wonderful and great things will happen. I told it last year. Something big is coming. I think in the new year, lots of things will happen. Lots of good will happen in this place. I, I want this new year to be the time where, you know, where they... Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're ugly or you're pretty, whether you're fat or you're thin, whether you're tall or you're short, whether you're, you know, whether you've done drugs or no, you're, you're alcoholic, huh? whether you're a sex addict or maybe you're a porn addict, right, or you're a food addict, man or woman, child or adult, 
no matter who you are, whatever your religion, whatever your belief system, whatever your faith, right, we have a paradise for you. We have, you know, you know, we started the children's home. And in the children's home, we have some children who, you know, conventionally they're called orphans. So that is who we wanted to first, you know, embrace and give them this opportunity. Because we went to the remand homes and, you know, we went into the orphanages and we, and we, we, we realized that, you know, although they, they, get, they get every care that you could hope for in those places, you know, the food, shelter and all that, what they don't get is the answer to life's problem. The problem of life, they don't get the answer to that. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have is when young children, they come and listen to the Dhamma, their parents hold them back. They don't get to make that jump. But, you know, when you go to the orphanage, <laughs> there's no problem. So we saw that as a prime opportunity. And so we acted. And today, you know, we are very fortunate. And I'm sure they feel the same, you know. Several young children who are now in our care. And from that very young age, you know, six, seven, eight, and so on, you know, they get, they're given every, all the, you know, all the good things, and only the good things that one could ever hope for. We call it Noble Hearts. That is the child development center that we started recently at the monastery. All approved, you know, qualified, and all that. Now, <clears throat> Swami Nguyen says. <clears throat> excuse me, had to go and complete various qualifications to, to start the home. But we did. And they, they went that extra mile. It, it was not for them. Some of them are parents, or they were parents before they became monks, but that wasn't enough to start a children's home. You had to be qualified. So they went and took up those qualifications. And that created a wonderful opportunity for uh, several other individuals, families who had been listening to the Dhamma at the monastery, and they were they had young children, and as a result of which, because we don't start the young Anagarika program until they reach the age of 14, so the father had come or the mother had come, but the other parent had to stay back until the child became of age. So now that we started the children's home, we were able to open the gates to them as well. So this is this is the children you saw on the the at the ordination ceremony. Did you see those little bhattas? They came and sat at the front. Yeah. Opportunities that I didn't have when I was a young young child. See, big things. These are these are the things that'll happen more and more in as we move into the into the new year and, and the years to come. And, you know, the rehabilitation center, that needs to start soon. You know how, how much of a problem drugs are becoming, right? It's all over the place. Right from schools hmm, to out on the street, every other newspaper article will be talking about how ICE has become, you know, the, the talk of the year. <clears throat> We are not trying to stop people from taking drugs. We are rehabilitating them. 
so that they don't need it. Because trying to fight the drug loads is not a war that you can ever win. Let the authorities deal with that. And catching the criminals and dealing with the drugs. That is not our tech. What we do is, if there is someone who is addicted and they want to break free from that, because we have, we have given that love and we have given that treatment to several young men who today have gone on to become monks. And they are free. So we have a recipe that works. We have living, breathing specimens. There is evidence, testimony, that you know, this, this method works. First we give them love, we give them respect. That's how we first take them in here. That is the hook that we use to bring them and keep them. And then after that we give them every opportunity to earn merits. And then we talk to them in loving words and, and we, we, we show them an abundance of love and compassion. And then slowly we teach them the Dhamma. One step at a time, one step at a time. And then soon enough they begin to realize you know, all this was just, uh, I, I just, I've just been wasting my life. <clears throat> we don't believe that locking people up in prisons is correcting them. That's not to say we are going to protest against that, because, you know, that's, if that's what has to be done, that's what has to be done. But I think, you know, in a country where we have the pure Dhamma, there's so much more we can do. It is so underutilized. Our biggest asset is our Dhamma. The noble triple gem is our biggest asset. Hmm? People come to us for our hospitality, right? Tourism is a big deal in Sri Lanka and people come to us for our hospitality. They come to us to eat a hopper. <laughs> huh? And our beaches. And our turtles. Is that all we have to offer people? You know, that needs to change. And hopefully, you know, we can play a part in making that change, that revolution. Where people will one day come to Sri Lanka because they, have, they know that, you know, here they have the answer to life's problems. That is true hospitality. That is the hospitality I want us to be known for. Come here with your problems. And we will solve them for you. We will help you to solve them for yourselves. Because the Dhamma is the only medicine the mind needs. And you know, you, I'm, 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 I'm saying this with such joy because I, I want you all to rejoice in that. You know, when you do your Metshanti Karma tonight, right, please remind yourselves of everything that you did to help make that happen. You all played a big part in it. You know, I can't do this all by myself. I can preach the Dhamma, but how am I going to feed people? If a hundred young Anagarika men come, you know, I don't have the means to feed them. I don't have the means to shelter them. I can give them the Dhamma. But before you give them the Dhamma, they need somewhere to sit. They need something to eat. They need something to, you know, to, 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 to wear. And it is those young men who went on to become Swaminwanses who have now decided to create those opportunities for other people. That's why you, you know, you, you guys set the foundation for all this. And it is on that foundation we continue to build this paradise. But not a paradise to stay and hang around forever. Do our job and get the heck out of here. That's what we're here for.
as Guru Tero puts it very nicely, you know, the whole purpose of the sasana. And the sasana will only prevail for as long as we work on our extinction and the preservation of the sasana. If we work to preserve ourselves, then the sasana will become extinct. Only this place ain't good enough for the two of us. Either the sasana has to prevail or we have to prevail. If the sasana has to stay, we have to go. If we have to say, the sasana has to go. This is the way out. So everyone wins, you know. So, you know, when you, when you chant this Arimaitri, I want you to think about how you have enacted metta. Everything you've done. Every single thing you've done. You know, it might have been a grain of sand. It might have been, uh, you know, a grain of rice. It might have been, you know, just a, a well-wish. Maybe it was a compliment. Maybe you looked and said, you know, well done. Carry on. I give you my blessings. Maybe that's all you did. But that was an encouragement to someone to keep going. Maybe it was a glass of water. Maybe it was just your presence. Your presence was a vote. Yes, we stand by you. What you're doing is right. Carry on. Perhaps that's all you were able to do. But whatever you did, you know, that was the foundation on which we were able to accomplish all that we did in the last year. How many Anagarika Mahatmyas have today had the chance to come and join our ranks? Hmm? 50, more than 50 of them. Very soon they are going to be more in number than the Swami Nuhansis. That is not a pool that you can ever exhaust. They just keep on growing. You know, as uh, our Swami Nuhansi, who is in charge of the Anagarika program, always reminds me, every, every week we receive at least five applications. Can you believe that? For the Anagarika program. Every week. We give them the Dhamma, but that's all we can give them. You've given them everything else. It's like we've given a part, you've given a part, you know, together, like parents. We have fostered those children in the sasana. That's why every ordination ceremony, you know, you watch that video. Hmm? What do the Anagarika Mahatya say at the end? Remember? Hmm? By now we have completed in a year of our practice. And we've, we've worked hard here to, to practice the, the path, the Dhamma. And you have all, as parents, looked after us, sheltered us, fed us. When we were sick, you treated us. And it is thanks to you we were able to become successful in this place. And for that we are eternally grateful. That's what they say. And they mean it from the bottom of their hearts. Each and every one of them. And they, they, they who then go on to become the Swami Nuhan says, and we are like elephants, we never forget. Because gratitude is the first thing that our teachers instill in us. We never got here without help from others. There are so many people on whose shoulders we stood to rise this height. 
There were, so, there were so many hands that were lent to us, which we clung on to, to stand up and to get this far and to keep going. There's gratitude in every ounce of us. So, you know, these are the things I want you to think about when you chant your Arimaitri later on today. Rejoice in that. All the things that have has been done in the name of the Sasana. Every single thing. You know, as I said, think about the highlights of the year. Your presence was all that was needed. But you went the extra mile. You would have offered arms, you would have offered robes, you would have given medicines, you know, maybe the infrastructure. Hmm? You know, if not for that camera, I always say, and if not for this microphone, how would people in other countries be able to listen to any of this? If not for the IT, if not for this whiteboard, if not for this, not for that, and for any of these things, you know, the sasana, how would we be, we be able to serve all these people? And, you know, languages is going to be a big thing for us in the new year. We are so big on that now. Guru Hamra has a huge vision, you know, we need to be proficient in at least 10 languages by, you know, in the next few years. We've already got Hindi and Spanish, going Korean, Japanese, we've got classes for them. Several of our devotees helping with that, you know, giving us their knowledge, giving us their time, the most precious thing that anyone could ask for. There's a teacher who, I've not seen such commitment in many people in my life. And all they have are these sermons. They don't even get to understand Guru Thero's sermon. This is all they have. But you know, the teacher, she and her husband, you know, every, they're so committed to this. They want to make sure that they, get, they have the privilege, the honor to play a part in taking this Dhamma to the Koreans one day. She's a doctor by profession, but she carves out the time, both her and her husband, to teach our monks and our anagarikas and anagarikas the language. It's just incredible. You know, they'll come online sometimes, you know, the internet drops and then, but such patience. And they'll wait until the connection comes back on. And sometimes, you know, after a long day's work, Maybe you know, they've probably finished work at 9, 10 in the evening and then at night and then they'll do the class after that. Incredible. The commitment that people have. You know, this is metta, folks. That's metta. Metta enacted. Because that is what helps heal hearts. That's just one example I've said. And there are so many like that. Very soon we're going to start Italian. That has been promised to me in the, in the course of January. We're going to start teaching Italian to our monks and Swaminath and, and our Anagarika Mahatyas. It just never seems enough. Guru Hamdra is now learning Telugu as well, in addition to Hindi. He feels there's a strong connection between people there and and, and, and the Sri Lankan, you know, community. He feels there's a lot in common. Don't know why he feels that way, but he says, I just feel it. So he's learning the language. 
you know, our, our teachers, you know, they're a great example to us. They'll never ask us to do something that they don't. So, you know, we are really picking up the pace here. I told you, something big is coming. I told you. And I, will, I invite you all to be, to play whatever part, whatever role you can in that. Because hang in, hang in there. All you got to do is just hang in there. And this, this vessel, this ship, will be steered to Nibbana. And all you got to do is just hang in there. Because when the ship sets sail and it reaches the other side, it's not just the person standing right at the front that has now reached land. All of us have. We just got to hang in there. And we want to create an environment here where, because you know, I know there are lots of listeners online from other countries, but you know, they, we haven't really done justice to them yet. We haven't really created an environment where they can come and spend some time with us, some quality time with us. You know, sometimes you know, they, might have, they might be able to take time out of work and come and spend you know, one or two months maybe, maybe take a sabbatical and come and spend some time with us from a week to several months maybe. So we, you know, we feel that that is a need that we need to furnish. So we are in the process of making plans for that as well. You know, what difference does it make? What color you are? It's a mind, right? Whatever your background, whatever your faith, whatever your beliefs, matters not. Because here we are not pro promoting a religion. We are giving a philosophy. We are teaching you how to solve problems. The real problems in life, not the superficial problems that lie because of the underlying problems, the real underlying problems. And, you know, some young children, when they have their school holidays, they come and spend time with us. And now we are able to do that for them as well. Those days we couldn't, we didn't have the means to do that. If you came, you had to come as an Anagarika, or that was it. But now, you know, even if you, if you can only send your child for one or two weeks, you know, we are making plans and we are, we are always looking for what does the world need from us. And we adjust ourselves to cater to those needs. Whatever sacrifice we have to make, however far we need to go. Because we believe that is Nibban. Giving that, you get that. Making, making those changes within ourselves, going that extra mile, you know, doing whatever we can to help a, an ailing, ailing heart. Yeah, that, folks, is metta. Healing minds, that's what we do. So, this is the whole point I'm saying. You know, when you think about may I and all beings in all worlds be freed. Think about all the things you've done. Think about the good that has happened in this world. You can start about thinking, start thinking with what good have I done and then after a while take the I out of it and then think about what, what good has happened to this world, all the good that has happened. Because take the I out and the good still remains, right? Because that is what we celebrate, the good, the good and the great. The I is simply an illusion. That's what we're trying to get out. Because for as long as you feel the self, 
there'll always be a tiny bit of whatever you do that you do for yourself. That'll always be there. That's why even the greatest of the gods, even the greatest of the Brahmas, unless they're Aryans, and unless they have fulfilled that Aryan path, there'll always be something that they will do for themselves. And that bit they will always reserve for themselves, that bit they starve the world off. This is why the way we, this approach that we take, you know, we dissolve ourselves one piece at a time. We dissolve ourselves. And when you do that, all of the good that happens is for others. That is an arahant. An arahant is made. That's how. So think about, you know, with ignorance and attachment, how minds suffer, how sansara is created. You know, you can contemplate on the doctrine as you reflect on it, or you can contemplate on the, the effects of it. Either is fine. So the doctrine is, you know, what we studied, right? We drew on the board, this is how it happens. The so reflection of the doctrine further intensifies your practice. And then you can also think about the effects of that. You know, all this jati duk, the, the 11 great fires, these are all fundamentally based in the jati dukkha. So your, you know, I think we talked about this last week, we find the common enemy. It's not you versus I or they versus the other, it's not he versus she, it's a case of minds versus a common enemy. And that common enemy is who we have the fight with. That's why I think, I think it was last week or recently I said, you know, if someone comes up to you and you know they're upset with, with you know, they're not really upset with you, they're just upset. They have been hijacked. You know, so the other day I was, I was sat down for arms and I was just looking at people coming and going. And I feel like these are like zombies. You know, when someone is a zombie, you've seen this zombie movies, right? <clears throat> so you get bitten by a zombie and then you become infected, right? So it gives, there's a few moments until you can try and save that person. But after that, if, you, if you're bitten, you're bit. That's it. You become a zombie. So that's a transformation that happens. So if I feel like, you know, there are zombies just walking around. I, I say that because it's not they in control. They're not in charge. There's this illusion of a self that has consumed them. Can you see the zombie within yourself? You know, when you're crying about something, when you're angry about something, you know, you're in zombie mode. That's not you. You're possessed. Don't let that happen to you. You can't do anything about it after the fact. You have to work towards stopping that from happening in the first place. That is what we're doing now. When you go today to the, uh, you know, to the Dhamma Hall, and you see people there, right? let's assume none of them are Arahants. Okay, let's assume for, for, for a second. Now, you see if you can just see zombies walking around. The only difference is they don't have their arms out like this. They're like zombies. I don't mean this to insult. What, I'm, what I mean is, you know, the mind has been hijacked, right? 
There's, there's another force acting on the mind. In some zombie movies, right, they, they have this uh, antidote, right, and you, you inject the patient with that and after a while they're healed. Yeah, some, some, some stories, they, they end like that. So this is what we're doing. So this is the antidote. And aren't zombies dangerous? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Like, it's like people without the Dhamma. <clears throat> They're dangerous. They hurt other people. They fight for things that they want. Hmm? Just think about the world outside for a second, folks. You know, I, I don't see much of it, but you do every day. Think about the world outside, you know, as you drive past, you know, your street and all these houses on either side, you know, people going to work in the morning, getting on the, in the trains, in the buses, right, running to work, walking to work, flying to work, whatever, right, going to the shops, it's like, you know, this whole world is, in, this is, this is zombie land, zombies, they've all been infected, infected by ignorance, infected by attachment. Ignorance is the virus and attachment is the, is the disease and now they're suffering from the symptoms. So because zombies are just thirsty for blood and you know, they just want to attack someone else, right? That's what you see. Either through lust, huh? through desire, driven by either desire or aversion or delusion, they just go attacking other people. You know, when a man feels lustful, what do they do? That's a zombie. So they just go hunting for another person to try and satisfy their desires. Don't you see a zombie? And when a man is angry, then what do they do? Again, they'll go, you know, to retaliate. <clears throat> Talking about retaliation, something just, I, just remind, I was just reminded. Yeah, I don't know where to start, folks. I just all I'm saying is we have so much to do, right? So much to do. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed by all the things that we have left to do and such little time to do it all in. I'm already past my prime. It's downhill from here for me. Especially our young ones, right? I, I you know. Uh, this is an encouragement for our young doers and putas, right? You know, learn the languages, right? All these things I've been asking you to do. You, you are our future. You need to take the baton and, and take this forward from us. And you heard of the, the dark web? Hmm? Some of you may have. So this is not the internet, but this is a, a different network. It's called the dark web. You can't access it with just on a normal network. You, there are special things you have to do to get onto it. So I remember when I was in my in my lay time, I, and I, was, I, I studied networks engineering, and I went on it once just to see what it was like. And I promised myself I'd never go back in there again. So recently, I just wanted to find out, you know, how how much the world might have changed since. And oh my God. So I asked someone to, I gave instructions, like, can you do this, do that, do that, the other. And so they connected. And we just searched for a few terms. If you don't know it, don't go there. Right? 
Now, too late, you know about it now. You don't need to go there because I'm telling you what's on there, right? It's just a very, very, very bad place. I don't mean the dark web, I mean this world. It's become terrible. After I saw that, I, wrote, I went up to Guru Handra and I said, Guru Handra, I, I think the world is a million times worse than you and I imagine it is. You know, there are sites on which young children's pictures are posted, they are molested, abused by very close family. Very close family. Don't ask me how close, because I don't want to say it out loud. That close. Molested, their pictures and videos put up on those sites because you can't put them up on the internet. But in that place, there's no one to moderate. It's like the Wild West. And so I asked them to do a search term. It came back with several thousand search results, each of them a website on which you can go and and you trade with Bitcoin, so no one can be, you can't be traced. These, you know, these are the inventions of the modern day and age. So, you know, there's no credit card you need to pay with, no cash, it's just Bitcoin, so no one knows where it's coming from, where it's going. But the things that people do to satisfy their urges, young, young boys, Seven years of age, eight years, nine, ten years of age. It reminded me about the children in the children's home. Closest family. They'll do things that you would, you can never imagine. And they'll take videos of that and you, they post online for a few dollars. You can buy them so cheap now on the dark web. And there are other sites where, you know, gangs, they show their prowess and their, their power to each other by captivating uh, their rivals from other gangs and then they'll take them to some, some place and then they'll torture them, stab them and then and this is all on camera so that they can then go and post it online and then after all that they'll kill them Hmm? And they'll take it and then post it online. And you you can actually You know some of the things you can do on there now? <laughs> you can actually give place an order because they don't know who you are, you don't need to know who they are, it's all anonymous, right? There's no tracing, no one it can't be traced to anyone or anybody. You can give an order for someone to be raped. How about that? I want this person, he lives at this place, uh, please rape them and uh, you know, uh, give me a, a picture of that or send me a video of that. Or you can get people to be killed, you just need to give them the address and pay them money up front. Bitcoin. Wonderful. I mean, this is the world that you live in. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw how bad things really are.
you know, you think this is bad outside these four walls. It's hell out there. And then I wondered, you know, is there really a point in me learning these languages? You know, they are, people have become barbaric. It's like animals out there. Killing someone is it's just like, you know, people just do it for fun. So, you know, please be careful. You know, if you, if someone comes and asks you, you know, I like you, do you like me? You better be careful what you answer back in return. You know, you, I think girls nowadays will have to ask first the question, if I say no, what will you do to me? Before they say no. So bad. So bad. I, I, I can't show them on, 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 on a video. I can't, I can't put them up for you to see because, you know, they're, they're so disturbing. Just brutally. People are just slaughtered. Every day you'll have at least, you know, uh, you know, half a dozen videos posted online. It's, you know, it's like this. It's just games for people. And then they'll, they'll post their trophies. So basically they go and kill and then all, you know, while the, the person's alive, they'll cut off parts of their body. And they'll sever ears, and the tongue, arms, limbs. And they'll have them dangling in front of the person while he's, you know, trying to catch his breath. And then after all that, you know, to complete the, 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 uh, the game, you know, they stab the person or cut them open. Sorry, I know this might sound disturbing to a lot of you, but this is the state of things out there. Right? And now drugs is a big thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right? So when people want drugs so bad, they'll go to any length to get it. And if killing for money is what they have to do, people will do it. Right when Corona came, I told you these things were going to happen. I told you people are going to get addicted to their computers, to their videos, to their porn, to their drugs. To, you know, domestic violence is just going to be, you know, it's going, just going to rocket. And all of those things have happened so far. This world is becoming uninhabitable. It's just become such a terrible state. And, you know, the dark web was just proof of that. That's why we need metta. It's, it's, it's becoming a complete cesspit. So, you know, I, I really feel for parents out there, you know, if you brought children into this world and you want to do right by them, if you think you have them safe, you already sacrificed their safety when you decided to bring them into this world. That was when you surrendered their safety. They've come here now, and now it's just, you know, they, it's, they're just accidents waiting to happen. You, you know, I'm sorry to end on this note, but, you know, I, I felt I had to share this with you. I, I can't show you what I saw on there because, you know, it's just not, you know, you'll be shocked. Some of you might even faint. So bad. And this is not cruelty to animals, this is cruelty to human beings.
like it's nobody's business. People have no mercy. They have, I'm not talking about all humanity, you know, don't lose hope on all of humanity. What I'm saying is that this is happening out there because the world does not have the Dhamma. Right? Desire has completely destroyed the human heart. Lust, aversion, it has completely corrupted the human mind. Ego, right, and, and delusion completely veiled people in darkness. I don't know, I, I was explaining to Guru and he said, you know, he said, this is only the beginning. And, you know, although it feels like, you know, we are safe in our country, you know, here people still respect each other and so on. Now drugs is big. And when first drugs come, and then after that everything else with that. Because for to do the drugs, you need, you need the cash. And to get the cash, people will go to any length. It's big in schools now. Drugs is big in schools now. I don't know what you can do, parents, to save your children. And once you've had a taste of that, I'm told there's no going back. Because once you have it, you want more of it, and then more of it, and more of it. Then after that, you know, there's no going back. You know, people, the young children will, will, will try. I, you know, I, I can predict the future for you now. Honestly, I can predict the future for you now. Because I, I, I can see how the minds, uh, minds will begin to work. You know, young children in schools will, will do what? It, they'll go and do any dirty deed to earn a few bucks. Then after that will come STDs among school children. Wait and see if what I say don't happen. Sexually transmitted diseases among school children will be big. Someone told me now they dispense condoms. In, in and around <laughs> the cities. Welcome to Sri Lanka. When did that ever happen in our country? They'll have to install those machines in schools. Not because of relationships among children. Because of what children will feel they have to do to earn the money to go and do the drugs. And then there'll be, you know... People in and around schools, or at least outside the schools, waiting for young boys, young girls to come out of school. You know? They'll be there when you finish school at 2 o'clock. They'll be there at 2 o'clock, waiting to offer you some easy cash. Easy cash. Our young, young children, you know, they don't know, you know head or tail of it. They'll say, you know, you, you want some money? Come with me. Do you want some money? Come with me. And then they don't know what's happening. Then the video cameras are on at the same time. You know, two birds, one stone. Why not? You get them to please you and record that. And then, then you threaten the parents. Hmm? Remember Mr. Silva? Then you threaten the parents. Right? Give me more cash. Otherwise, your child's video goes online. <laughs> two birds, one stone. Oof. AIDS will be a big thing in our country very soon. 
gonorrhea, syphilis, these diseases will be on the rise very soon. Child pregnancies will be a big thing. It's not just here, throughout, throughout the world. These things will be rife. <laughs> That's why I feel, you know, there's a whole ocean and we are doing so much. And that children's home, we have what, 12 or 13 children in there. It's not enough. I wish I could, I could bring every child in this world and, and, and look after them and give them a good upbringing. But I can't. I don't think, if, even if all of us got together, it would still be an impossible task. Clearly, it's, you know, I'm, you know, I'm dreaming, wake up. <laughs> but, you know, we got to do what we got to do. And ultimately, you know, before I left, Guru Hanru said, you know, Swami Nansa, he said, metta is good, but remember at one point you're going to have to come to a peksha. And he said, at one point you're going to have to accept that this is the way the world is. And it's not your task to boil this ocean. Do what you can do, and then we have to leave, and then someone else come and take that place. That's why Buddhas, they have, we have had infinite Buddhas and we will have infinite Buddhas in the future. But I don't know, right now it, that, doesn't, that just doesn't feel like the answer to me. I just feel like there's so much more we have to do and we need to do. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to convince myself of that. <laughs> You're right, indeed. That is, that is cause and effect. And you know, the, the other thing is, you know, whatever people do will happen to them again, right? You know, for that's the, yeah, that's the saddest part. You can't stop Vipaka. Yeah, that's what has been done has been done. Now, when the Buddha saw you know, some young children, you know, taking sticks and hitting an animal, you know, the Buddha didn't go to save the animal. The, the Buddha went there to stop the, the, those children from committing that sinful deed, to save them. So all this is happening out there, and yeah, we are so advanced now. I, I need to take some lessons from you. <laughs> but, you know, whatever we can do, let's do, right? And that's why I say, you know, learn this language, because there's a lot of that happening in, you know, the Western part of the world, right? in some countries in the Americas and South, North, um, yeah, you know, like Spain, Mexico, sorry, not Spain, in Mexico, and Argentina and some of those parts of the world, you know, it's, just, it's just big. One of the reasons why I wanted to learn Spanish, it's the language that's used most there. At least if I can say one person, you know, that's worthwhile. So do whatever you can do. And, you know, this, our work is cut out for us. <laughs> that's what I can say. Until, our, until we expel our last breath, even with that last breath, they still have something that we... There'll still be something that we can do. So that is what this metta is all about. <clears throat> the world is ailing because these minds are ailing. They have gone insane. There's, it's a world of zombies. Right? And you have the antidote. You have the antidote. Now, 
if at the end of this program, this Karmasthana Sajjahana program, nothing else in the world will have changed, that's okay if you have changed. Because remember, you know, first we cleanse ourselves, right? So through the practice of noble metta, with every contemplation, you are cleansing yourself. Your mind is being freed. Your mind is moving one step at a time towards Nibbana, towards Arahatwood. That is the whole purpose of this. But the energy that you release into this world will have an effect indirectly. That will have its effect indirectly. But the problem is, a few of us get together and do something like this, but the majority, on the other hand, are completely destroying this world. So this is not a balance that, that we can, this is not a war that we can win that way. That is when we have to admit, you know, this is cause and effect, Vipaka, and move on. So this is not a battle that we can win, but that's not to say we shouldn't fight, because in engaging in that fight, you know, that, is our, that is our salvation. That is what we can do for this world. You know, there's one person you can save this world from, isn't there? You. Won't the world be a better place if you were a better person? Hmm? If you were just a tiny bit better than you are right now, won't the world be a better place? Well, there you go then. So you can make an impact on this world simply by transforming yourself, improving yourself, developing yourself, becoming a better person, becoming a greater person every day. So make today's effort that. You're here to help make the world a better place by changing a part of you, by moving you one step closer to Arahathod, taking you one step closer to becoming a king of hearts. Make this about that. The stuff that you cannot see, you know, the, all that pure energy spreading out into the world and healing hearts and, you know, minds and all that, you know, that I can't show you, hey, see, that's going there. I can't show you any of that, so I can't give you evidence of that. Because if you read the newspapers which are on the television, it seems like all of that that you've done has been to no use. So I can't give you evidence of that. It is happening though. It is happening. But the biggest thing you can do for others is to become a better version of you. So those meanings try and reflect on as you contemplate through the through the uh, evening and the karmasthana. All beings that all sentient beings that dwell in the skies. This is a reference to those who are above you in in their practice by the sky higher elevation. What I mean that by that is those who are yet to become arahants, but those who may be above you in their practice. May they also be freed of all, all jati and suffering. And then sentient beings who dwell on the lands, those are your equals. Those who have practiced the path to you to the extent that you have, may they also be freed of suffering. And by freed of suffering doesn't mean free from hunger and those things. There's enough of that already. People are working to that. What, I, what we are here about is, you know, the cause of hunger. That is jati, right? It's because you have this body, you need to deal with hunger. It's because you have this body, you have to deal with pain and anger and grief and sorrow. It's because of jati, you have all the 11 great fires. So what we are not doing is wishing away the 11 great fires. What we are doing is wishing away the cause of that, which is jati. 
the underlying cause of that. So it's not wishing away that because there's nothing can be achieved by doing a simple wish. Your contemplation of it itself is the medicine. That's the beauty of it. So as you practice the noble metta, you are treating the problem within yourself as you do it. So this is not simply, you know, I, uh, this is not a, you know, a wishing card. This is, this is, in fact, you healing yourself as you practice this. So by doing that, you're actually fighting the enemy. So today night, this evening, until tomorrow morning, it's not simply a case of us coming together and doing some chanting. Please don't see it that way, because that will simply be a waste of time. You learn some merits, but that's not what we are here for. Whenever we do something, we do it with profoundness. There's meaning to it. Right? You should go back home a better person than you came here today. You should go back home having contemplated on jati than you came here today. You should go back home a freer person than when you got here today. So it is a time for you to meditate, contemplate, and attack jati. That's what you're doing this evening. Okay? So our work is cut out for us, as I said. So much to do, such little time left. But I think if we can, if we can be the trees that, that bear fruits, and those fruits will then go on to become, you know, spread their seeds and, and grow more trees, then I think, you know, that is what the Buddha expected of us, because clearly the Buddha is not here today. But he is. Isn't he? Through us, he is here today. Right? So I want, you know, through me for Guru Thero to be here. And then when we are gone, through you, the Buddha should be here today. In the future. That is how we do our duty. And that happens when you, first of all, you embrace the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and make that internal transformation. That is the first duty we have to us and others. And through that, we carry on our service. The, the Buddha has promised, another two and a half thousand years we have this. And when I went on the internet, I realized why it is only two and a half thousand years. I did wonder, you know, how, how did he know exactly? Five thousand. Could it not be another thousand more? <laughs> then I realized, no, he was right. We can't win this race, but we won't give up. That is why we are different. So, that is what I ask of you in the new year. We have lots to do. And please rejoice in all the things that you have done to make all of this happen, to get this far. None of this would have been possible without the collective effort of all of us working together, looking in the same direction. Right? That is what matters. It is our unity that has enabled us to do all this. Please rejoice in the fact that today we have a children's home. You are the parents that enable that. You know, they're so, they, they're so happy. They, you know, they spend their time you know, amongst noble ones today, thanks to you. And the same we need to do for people who are addicted to drugs. That, that needs to happen within the next year or so. Right? So you are the people who will make it happen. Your well-wishes is enough. That, that just the thought itself. As I said, your presence here is a vote. 
Yeah, let's do it, Swaminathan. Let's do it. That, that, that itself is a vote. Your presence here means someone else will follow your footsteps and they'll walk through those gates and come here, come in here. Perhaps they have a drug problem, you don't know. But they'll come here, listen to the sermon, and they'll realize, hmm, I think I found the right place. You know, it is through people we, we, we do this. This is a people business. These are not our assets. None of this is our assets. It's not the stupa or the Buddha Mandira or the Bodhi trees. These are not our assets. What has happened within you? That is our asset. So rejoice in them and may all those merits that you have acquired and accumulated throughout the past year and everything you've done to come this far, there are some new faces who've come to this sermon over the last year and they've all come here because of you. You guided them, you held their hand, you brought them here, you sat them down, you gave them a glass of water, showed them where the toilets were, and gave them some arms. You know, it is because of that they're still here. These are, these are all victories that you have, you have gained for the sasana. Sasana dasas you are. Servants of the sasana. Servants of the Buddha. Buddha dasas you all are. So whatever your name is, add Buddha dasa to the end of that. So rejoice in that. You all deserve a pat on the back for everything you've done. So let us take a moment to transfer the merits and to rejoice in all the tremendous and wonderful merits that we have all acquired throughout the year. And let us make a firm resolve that we continue on this path and to help heal as many hearts as we possibly can over the lifetime that we spend on this planet. So for that, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in the various meritorious deeds. Let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the Noble Path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer merits to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery the Anagarikas and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. 
Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers, employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any mental and physical ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer to the devas, brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhasasana. Let us transfer to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble lightfall path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara, and to those who have helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us transmit to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force, those who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, and may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, blizzards and so on, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to those, to all of them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahatun nuhanse, an arahat terenin nuhanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Parents, just another reminder, those contract rapes and contract murders are for real. So, please look after your children. I don't know how to give you instructions on how to live out there. Do you say yes or do you say no? You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. The fact that you're in that place means you now have to be posed that question. That was the problem that you... That is the, that is, that is the problem that, that has now arisen. If you're there, someone can ask you the question, right? Now you see the answer. That's why I look at these young doers and I'm thinking, how do I stop someone from coming and asking them? Out. I can't stop that. Huh? And then what do they say? Yes or no? If you say yes, you're in trouble. If you say no, again you're in trouble. So what do you do? That's what I'm saying. The fact that you're there means there's no escape. If you're there, you have to face these situations. So the only escape is get out of that place. That is why we are trying to build this place here so that, you know, this is, this is a paradise before you go to the real paradise. So, parents, again, I appeal to you, please, you know, do something for your children. Do something for them. Otherwise, 
they're in a very dangerous place at a very dangerous time. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.